Good morning. Good morning, Harvest. How are you? Why don't you uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you uh, forgot your Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure, get your hand up and grab one of these as our gift to you. Take this home with you. But if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, uh, why don't you open it up to Luke chapter 10. It's where we're going to be this morning. We've been answering some, some hard questions about Christianity over this, this series, and, and this morning is another difficult one. When, when you look at the history of the church, we have some very dark moments in our history. I mean, from the Inquisitions to the Crusades to the, to the Salem witch trials to, to Christian leaders being on the wrong side of the fight to end the African slave trade to, to more modern examples of, of priests abusing kids, of, of, of preachers being exposed for their hypocrisy through, through sex scandals or financial scandals. It's why a guy, guy like Bertrand Russell, who wrote the now famous uh, uh, essay, Why I'm Not a Christian, he says that, that the lives of Christians, the injustice caused in the name of Christianity, is one of the best arguments against Jesus Christ. Karl Marx said that, that Christianity is bad for the poor. It causes oppression. Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. For many of you here this morning, if I, if I were to even say the word conservative Christian, well, the, the images that can pop into our minds, right? I mean, I, I, you can see pictures of, of, of angry people, of people with, with placards, with these signs that tell everybody who God hates, right? And we, we get this idea, oh, oh, they're the angry, abusing, women hating, right? That, that's kind of the, in fact, when someone ever says to me, hey, are you a Christian? I almost want to stop and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. When you say Christian, what do you mean when you're asking me, am I a Christian? Part of what drove me away from church as a teenager. Now, I didn't relate at all to those people who I was in church with, and, and I for sure didn't want to bring my friends to that place. And, and there was nothing in me growing up that would have said, hey, hey, these are my people. If you, if you want to know what Jesus is like, hey, why don't you just come to my church? Why don't you meet the people that I go to church with? And I would assume in a room this size that this question that we're asking this morning about hypocrisy and injustice, it's not just a philosophical question. It's not just a theological question or an academic question, but it's a very personal question. And maybe this morning, here you come into church and you've experienced hypocrisy and injustice up close You've experienced greed or judgmentalism of, of people who claim to follow Jesus Christ. You, you felt the sting as you've been stamped or labeled or pushed aside by Christians because of how you look and, and you walk into church and, and you've done it and you've come in and you, you felt that, that right away, that feeling of, man, man, people are looking at me because I'm not one of them. And maybe it's past choices you made. Maybe it's just you're, you're so new to Jesus and you're, you're trying to figure this all out and you feel like an outsider or maybe it's not about your past. Maybe it's right now what you're walking with. And you come in here with addictions that some people know about. You come in here with same-sex attraction. You come in here with a, a history 
a history that, that at the hands of people who called themselves Christ followers and you've felt the sting may, maybe of abuse or neglect or, or, or you've seen it or experienced it yourself that where people who claim the name of Jesus are living and acting in a way that you know this isn't right. I want no part of that. Of all the questions we're walking through in this series, this is the hardest one for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you go, no, I'm following Jesus Christ. This is the most difficult one for us because this isn't a question about our theology. This isn't a question about philosophy. This is our hearts being questioned this morning. This isn't God's word under a microscope. This is my life under a microscope now. As I've said, some of the arguments used against Christianity. This is one where they say the best argument against Christianity are some Christians. So for those of us here who, who say, I'm a Christ follower, this question should hit us hard. How am I representing Jesus to a world that's watching? How am I representing Jesus to a world that asks this very real question? Can we say, if you want to know Jesus, just come spend some time with me. If you want to see Jesus, come, come hang out with me for a while. Come to my church. Come into my family. Watch me at my workplace. Watch me at my school. Watch how I interact with other people. Watch how I do my day if you want to see Jesus. So, so let's ask this question. Let's walk this out together. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna unpack some of Jesus' words here from a very familiar story. And here's the first question we're gonna ask this morning. It's gonna be this. Are there hypocrites in the church? <laughs> People laugh, like, duh. That's an easy one to answer, isn't it? Are there hypocrites in the church? Well, well, what's a hypocrite? The, the word hypocrite, it comes from the Greek word that, that sounds like hypocrite. I'm not gonna try to pronounce it, but it sounds like hypocrite, right? And what it means is it's a word that just talks about being a stage actor. You're acting, it's not who you really are. So, so a good definition of a hypocrite, while well, well, we ask this question about hypocrisy in the church, it's a person whose life or actions don't match their stated beliefs. So, so it's when my life or my actions don't match up with what I state, with what I say I believe in. So as we look at injustice throughout the world, injustice throughout history, this is the starting point. It, it happens here. It happens through hypocrisy. In fact, Jesus begins this, this parable. If you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 10, look in verse 30. Jesus telling the story, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. So, so picture mind, a pastor, a minister of the gospel, someone who says, I lead a church. A priest is going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, a, a Levite, you, you can think seminary student, someone who's a, a student of God's word, they study it hard, they know it well. <clears throat> likewise, when a Levite came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, so what's Jesus doing? Jesus is really answering our first question this morning. Are there hypocrites in the church? Jesus said, hey, hey, yeah, for sure. Religious people, man, there's hypocrites among religious people. 
And, and get how he's setting the story up. He's not just putting before us just regular run-of-the-mill, you know, I go to church maybe two, two times a month and I, I kind of do the church thing. No, he's setting up in this story for us pastors, leaders in the church, full-on religious people. In fact, if you read the story, you, you would even get this picture that they were probably on their way to do something religious. They're, they're on their way doing something in the name of this gospel of Jesus Christ that they claim to have, and they're stepping over someone who they should have stopped to help. Like, hey, I, I can't stop because I'm, you know, I'm on my way to my small group, and, and it's super important I get there on time. And Yeah, 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 I, I, I can't stop because if I stop and help out you, I'm going to be late for church. If you typically roll in here and like the second or third worship song because you're helping people on the side of the road, you get a pass, all right? The rest of you, where are you, all right? Anyway, I won't get off on that. Then I'll become a hypocrite because I'll be late to my next meeting. You'll be like, ha, ah, all right? So the, the question then is, are there hypocrites here this morning? For sure there are. This room is full of hypocrites, now, now, we got to be fair, though, when we ask this question about hypocrisy and injustice in the world. We, we need to acknowledge this, that atrocities, dark days in the history of our world have happened by nearly every people group in every worldview. Violence and injustice, they're not just limited to one religion or even religion in general. I mean, in fact, if you look at the history of the, of the communist Russian, Chinese, Cambodian regimes... All of them rejected organized religion completely and were responsible for more acts of genocide than, than any organized religion ever was. But again, I, I don't want to deflect the question. I don't want to answer this question by saying, yeah, yeah, but look at those people. They've done things too. They've done worse things. No, no, there, there's a deeper reason to this idea of injustice in our world. And I want us to dig into that this morning. And so we start here. Are there hypocrites right here in our church? Yes. Now, why would Harvest Muskoka and Perry Sound have hypocrites there? Well, there's a couple things. One is this. Not everyone who calls themselves Christ followers are actually following Christ. I mean, much of what's done in the name of Christianity is by those who truly aren't following Jesus Christ. They're just claiming his name. Now, another reason, why would there be hypocrites here in our church? Well, well another reason, that there are many people in our church who are brand new and following Jesus. I mean, a sign of a healthy church should be that there should be a number of people in our church who are brand new, figuring stuff out, growing in Christ, not yet mature, still making decisions that, that are outside of the gospel. I mean, if I were to wander into a grade three classroom, I will not be shocked when things get a little goofy in the classroom, right? I'm not surprised when I come into my daughter's rooms that they're messy, I'm not cool with it, but I'm not surprised by it, right? So we shouldn't be surprised in a church that has people that are just growing. I mean, maybe you're here this morning and go, man, that's me. I'm the grade three Christian. I mean, I love Jesus, but I'm screwing this up all the time. But I'm growing in this. But before we move on and just say, oh, okay, well, that then explains why there's hypocrites because there's, there's Pharisees, people who claim Jesus but don't really know him. And then there's people who are growing and new believers. But listen, there are mature Christ followers in our church right here who act like hypocrites. 
It's happened throughout church history. We just came out of a series in Galatians. Remember in Galatians, the uh, apostle Peter, a guy who had been with Jesus, a guy who was set up as one of the early leaders of the Christian church. He shows up in this, this church in Galatia, hanging out with the Gentiles, this Jewish guy, Peter, but because Jesus had set him free with the gospel, he's now hanging out with these Gentiles. He's eating bacon and pork chops and having a good time with Gentiles, right? Then what happens? Jewish Christians come. And what's Peter do? He backs away. He, he, he moves away from the Gentiles. He's like, well, I can't hang out with these guys. I'm going to move out. And the apostle Paul, read it. It's great. In Galatians chapter two, he just calls them out. He goes, you're such a hypocrite. Peter. The apostle Paul himself, he talks about his own hypocrisy. Read Romans chapter seven. It's a great chapter where, where he says, I don't understand my actions. I don't do what I want to do, and I do the very thing that I hate to do. Paul's like, I'm a hypocrite. There's this thing in me, this thing called sin that draws my heart away from Jesus. The, the, this, this doesn't excuse my actions. This doesn't excuse the injustice done by those who proclaim Jesus. But there's this pride and selfishness in me, in you, in this church, where my actions don't match my words. And this pride and selfishness draws my heart so far from Jesus that I no longer act like Jesus. And I act in a way that's hypocritical. I act in a way that's not consistent with what I say I believe. But here's the good news. This just points to the reality of why the gospel is such good news. The church will always be filled with hypocrites. Why? Because the church isn't for perfect people who have arrived. No, we're not perfect, but what? We're broken, messed up people. And, and we didn't start following Jesus because, man, we're so good, we should go hang out with Jesus. We didn't follow Jesus because we needed to be cleaned up a little bit. No, we followed Jesus because he drew our hearts that were broken and messed up. And I didn't just need to be cleaned up a little bit. I needed to be raised from the dead and given a whole new heart and a whole new life. We're not perfect as Christ followers. But the gospel says this, you're loved and you're forgiven and you're given his spirit in you to turn from those things that draw your heart away from Jesus so that you put your hope and your trust in him alone. Being a sinner, being a hypocrite is not a barrier to Christ's love and salvation. In fact, I would say this, being a sinner is your first prerequisite. Not that you're a sinner, but that you admit that you're a sinner. That, that you expose your heart and say, I can't do this on my own. I can't live out this perfect life. I need a savior. I'm so broken and messed up. And you reach out to Jesus. And so you get us all together in a room when we show up with our pride and our sin and our brokenness, listen, there are areas that will be exposed by the grace of God where we need to say, I don't want this in my heart any longer. Areas are, are, are exposed that need to be repented of. Repent is just turn. I don't want to go this way and pursue this anymore. I want to pursue Christ. And those areas begin to be exposed as we get together. Because Jesus didn't come for the well and the healthy. He came for the sick. So if, if you look in on our church and go, man, that place is full of, a, full of a lot of people that are completely jacked up, you're right. 
but we're finding hope and healing from a Savior who loved us, gave his life for us. So that those areas in our heart not yet like Christ, in our, in our selfishness, in our pride, in our unforgiveness, in our, in our judgmentalism, in, in our lust, in our, in our controlling behaviors, in, in our unfaithfulness, that true followers of Christ are pressing in on these areas, are allowing others into their lives to press in on these areas where we confess, we own the sin, we repent, and we bring it all under the gospel where we find hope and healing. I mean, the gospel says that you and I are so messed up. Listen, listen, if you, if you come into church and think, well, I don't think that's me. I think I've got this dialed. I think I've got this figured out. The gospel says that we were so broken and messed up that God couldn't just kind of kind of fix us. No, Jesus Christ had to die in our place so that we could be raised again totally new. So yes, the church has hypocrisy in it. So, so the next question then, well, what's the cause of this hypocrisy? What brings it on? Why would it be here in our church? This is where Jesus steps in and he brings hope. Because the, the cause of hypocrisy, the cause of injustice, it's not a religion, it's not an ideology. The cause is my heart full of pride and selfishness. Pride that says, hey, look at me. Look what I accomplished. Man, I got here by my efforts. If you worked harder, if you just pulled up your bootstraps a little bit, maybe you would get to where I am. I, I deserve what I have. I deserve it more than you deserve it. That's pride. Or, or selfishness that says, I'm looking out for me. Man, I can't look out for you because if I start looking out for you, then who's gonna look out for me? So, so I need to look out for me, who I am. It's all about me. It's all I talk about. It's all I care about. It's about me. It's about me. Hey, what about me? Hey, look at me. Hey, care for me. And it's, it's selfishness. And Jesus continues in this story and he, he blows up this pride and selfishness and thereby he blows up our hypocrisy, blows up injustice. The, the whole story of the Good Samaritan, you gotta go back a couple verses and see why Jesus told the story. He's answering a question. Look at verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to him to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus answers with a question. I love how he always does that. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The guy gives a great answer. Rather than, summing, rather than saying all the different laws of the Old Testament, the Talmud, he, he sums it up like, like Moses did, like Jesus has. He goes, well, here's what it is. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my strength, all my soul, all my mind. At this point, the lawyer should have been honest. He should have said, and you know what? That's too hard. I can't do that. I can't just check off another command that I did because it's about my, my heart. If it's about my heart, then I'm lost. I mean, who, which one of us can say here this morning, no, I've got that perfectly covered. I always love God like I should. I always love other people like I should. I mean, none of us. Every one of us is here this morning guilty before Jesus. So what do you do when, when you start to, start to think about that? This guy doubles down. He says, okay, well, let me see how I can be good enough. Look at verse 28, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, 
Okay, he, he doesn't even see that. It, there's no way he can accomplish this. He wants to make himself look good and feel good. He says this, and who is my neighbor? Hey, hey, tell me who my neighbor is so I can check that one off my list too. So I can just do that one really well. So that I know that I'm doing good. And then Jesus lays out this story. Let's pick it up. We've got the first part covered. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring oil and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus says, Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. There's this Samaritan that comes by. And, and this, this Samaritan has this, this compassion, that word there for compassion. It's, it's a word that means it is moved into his stomach, like this guttural reaction, deeply moved. And he can't do anything but help. It's a, it's a whatever this person needs, I'm stepping in. Uh, I don't care about whatever it costs. It's not gonna be a couple bucks. This is gonna hurt me to take care of this person. So I, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna be moved. Why? Because his heart was deeply moved by compassion. Now what's super offensive about this story is if you've heard this story before, you know why this would be offensive. It's that the Samaritan, the one, the one who the Jews would have considered an enemy becomes the hero of the story. I mean, the Samaritans were not good people to the Jews, and the Jews were not good people to the Samaritans. In, in many ways, the Samaritans were so off in their doctrine, they didn't even believe the right things about Scripture. But, but Jesus steps in and says, hey, this guy who believed differently is the only one who acted correctly. Did you catch that? This guy who believed differently and wrongly in many ways is the only one who acted correctly. But here, listen, here's the real impact of this story. I mean, when you hear a story, you want to put yourself in the story. I mean, where, where do I fit? Who am I in this story? You and I aren't the Samaritan in the story. The, the real impact of this story is when you realize that you and I are the busted up, half naked, beaten, left dying on the side of the road person. That's who we are in this story. I mean, all of Scripture points to this, that we're never the hero of the story. The hero of every story in Scripture is Jesus Christ. He's the hero. You and I were bloodied, beaten, naked, helpless in the ditch. And Jesus, the real Samaritan, the outsider, came and had compassion on us. While we were his enemies, while we hated him, he stepped in and rescued us, bandaged us, poured himself out for us. Amen. Amen. Listen, catch that reality and all of a sudden your pride and your selfishness is killed. Man, how can we be prideful when we realize I did nothing to get this? I didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I was rescued by God because of his mercy. I, mean, I, I think this is why Jesus says it's so hard for successful people to find Jesus. Right? He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why is that? It's not that money is the problem. It's the fact that success can make it hard for us to be humble. 
The gospel reminds us that, that no matter who is here, the most successful person, maybe, maybe you're financially successful, maybe you're socially successful, maybe you're relationally successful, maybe in your job, you're just doing so good. Maybe, maybe you, just, you just have everything going on. Well, listen, listen, it's all by the grace of God. And we get that it kills our pride. And we can't look down on people any longer. Well, if, if they just did what I did, no, we recognize, man, I'm nothing without God's grace. And so you have compassion because you are the one rescued from the side of the road. It kills our selfishness because where would we be without God's grace? That's why you see in scripture that how we treat those struggling and hurting and wounded and broken shows the surest sign that you've embraced the gospel. I mean, is, is your heart marked with forgiveness? Is your heart marked with generosity? Is your heart marked with, with sacrificially, compassionately caring for the broken? When you truly understand the gospel, it, it produces in us this, this self-emptying, sacrificial kind of love. Because you've experienced mercy, you now want to show mercy. So then think about the injustice we've seen throughout history. The hypocrisy we've seen where, where Christians have been responsible for the injustices in history or in recent times or maybe in your life. Listen, why that happened is when they forgot the gospel. It's when Christians forget the gospel but when the gospel's lived out, when it's truly embraced, the results of that are unbelievable. In the, in the first century, it was the Roman uh, emperor, Julian, who wanted so badly to stamp out Christianity. And he's, he's building, oh, you read in history, he's building these temples and making them look awesome. And he's, he's refurbishing them. And yet, yet people are leaving these Roman temples and they're filling up these homes and these empty rooms called churches and just getting together to worship Jesus. He goes, I don't know what's going on here. And it says this, he says this, he says, I'm trying to stamp them out. But he says, these godless Galileans, the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. I mean, they just live compassionately. They, they, they lived out the gospel. I mean, even when you, you see how many in the church were a part of the African slave trade, what brought an end to the African slave trade was when people embraced the gospel. It was, it was when a few men convicted and converted by the gospel, the, these guys like, like the politician William Wilberforce, when he found the gospel, Guys like evangelists like, like John Wesley and George Whitfield. It, it's the gospel that turned the slave trader John Newton into somebody who would fight for the freedom of the slaves. Why? Because he experienced the hymn that he wrote, Amazing Grace. The gospel didn't create the problem, and it was the gospel who was the only thing that could have fixed the problem. Like there's a research group called Freedom House. You can Google it, Freedom House. They're, they're a, a non-political, non-religious research group. And what do they do? They, they go around the world researching what are the most free countries. And they have a whole uh, criteria for what, what makes a country a free country. And what they said, they said over 90% of those they label the most free are Christian nations. Here's a quote from them. Freedom, democracy, medical care, education, charity tend to flourish in countries with a heritage of Christianity and its profound respect for the individual. I mean, think about it. Karl Marx is the one who said Christianity is the worst thing for the poor and yet history shows us otherwise. That when Karl Marx stepped in with, with what he had and, and his worldview is a naturalist worldview, right? It's one that says, hey, we're all just highly developed animals, 
We've been birthed out of an accident of time and space. We're a, a product of our environment. That's it. I mean, if, if you're poor, which, which worldview empowers you the most? Survival of the fittest, that you're just an animal? Or the Christian worldview that Christ died for you, that he found you on the side of the road. He didn't just leave you there. He healed you. He got you back on your feet. He gives you the power to prosper and then to bring healing to others. Which vision of humanity inspires you upward? Which, which one brings you up out of poverty into prosperity more? I mean, the solution for injustice in the name of Christianity is not get rid of Christianity. It's come back to true Christianity. It's embrace the gospel again. Yet we know there has been hypocrisy. Things done not because of the gospel, but in spite of the gospel. We know that when the gospel's fully understood, it leads to the most sacrificial love, saturated cultures ever known. So then our last question this morning is, well then, what do I do about hypocrisy? If that's where it leads to, if it's the hypocrisy that drives this injustice, what do I do about hypocrisy? I mean, if you're in here this morning, you're like, man, I hate hypocrisy. I hate seeing it in the church. I, I hate when I see it. Listen, Jesus hates it too. But all throughout scripture, you see Christ calling people to this radical repentance, this sacrificial living, this, this caring for broken people, this pursuit of holiness. Jesus hates hypocrisy more than you do, more than I do. And I was thinking of, of Christmas is coming up and one of the things I love about Christmas is getting them box of chocolates, right? I love you, I mean, you, you pick them up and they're, I love chocolate, they're just chocolatey goodness all on the outside of them and, and what do you do like a real man? I just pop it in my mouth, right? I'm not looking at that little map thing. I don't read Ikea directions either. I'm gonna build the furniture, right? That's what real men do and so real men pop the chocolate in their mouth and then real men spit them out when they realize it's the orange fluff inside I just got, right? I mean, who, who puts toothpaste in chocolate? Like, what is that, right? So then you spit it out. Why? Because you're expecting something so amazing because of what you saw on the outside and inside, you get this minty, gross, orange, strawberry, toothpaste flavor, right? The inside didn't match the outside. So listen, as a church, listen, listen, the inside needs to match the outside. And so what do we do about hypocrisy? So to, to the church, you're here and you call harvest your home. Here, here's what we need to do. Listen, listen, we need to live out the gospel. I mean, the Bible says live in a way that displays the gospel so that as it says in 1 Peter, that people will ask you about the hope you have within you. Why are they asking you? Because they see you live it out. Because your outside matches the inside. Your inside matches the outside. So what does that mean for us as a church? Are, are we displaying this practically? Here, here's some things we're trying to do as a church to live this out. Biblical soul care is us trying to live this out. I mean, why have we put so many resources, so much energy into biblical soul care? Well, whoa, why? It starts here with our own people, first of all, where, where we want to grow and be trained in how to walk alongside each other in our brokenness. So that small groups are more than just, hey, have some coffee and, and read the Bible together. No, it's where small group leaders are growing and, and how do we care for people's hearts and, and Pastor Lee raising up more people, being trained and how to skillfully and graciously and biblically walk with people to hope and healing and wholeness in Christ and, and here in our church, but praise God, now to reach out into our community with the same hope and healing. That's why we put so much energy into that. 
We wanna live this out. Where church isn't just, well, that's a place you kind of go on Sunday and that's it. No, man, people walk with me. People care about me. People will call me to repentance. People walk alongside me in my brokenness and point me to the hope in Christ. It's, it's why we do this thing. It's coming up. You're gonna start hearing announcements about it. Why do we do adopt a family at Christmas? Adopt a family where we, we take families and, and not just give them kind of, hey, here's your little gift certificate for Christmas, but hey, let's take these families and fully adopt them so we take care of their Christmas for them. And over the last few years, we've just been seeing the gospel lived out so clearly in that program of Adopt a Family. We, we partner with Christine's Place and, and with some of their uh, clients who are there, those young girls with families that they're finding hard to support. We, we then reach out into our own church and the growing number of people in our church who are single-parent homes or those struggling financially and just praise God that you're here and we love you and we love the opportunity to love on you and that as you now take that and you love others with the same gospel and just continues to grow. It's grown so much, we've said this before, that, that, that child and family service is not known, children's aid is not known as a yay Jesus kind of movement. You can ever catch that? They're not fired up about the church and about Jesus so much. Looking in, seeing what you've done in adopt a family, caring for these families over Christmas, have said, what's going on there? How can we be a part of that? And let's take some of your families. And so small groups coming together, people giving, I mean, sacrificial, where, where you say, hey, this Christmas, what are we gonna go without so someone can have? That's what it is, right? And small groups getting together on mission. I love that. Not just gathering together for ourselves, but what can we do into our community as a small group? And small groups say, man, we'll take two, three, four families. It's gonna hurt to do it, but we wanna do this. How else are we trying to live this out? Church planting is another way. We believe the hope of our communities is planting churches where, where we can gather groups of Christians who are truly living out the gospel. So, so why are we in Perry Sound right now? Because we love the town of Perry Sound. We want to see the gospel go out, but not stop there. Where else? What other town can we plant a church in? Why are we partnering now with Mexico City to see, hey, how can we move into Latin America with the gospel of Jesus Christ through gatherings of believers together in church reaching into their communities? I have no interest in pastoring a church that doesn't seek to meet the needs of people in our community and around the world that, that has no heart to look and see the millions of people who don't know Jesus I mean, do you have that compassion of the Samaritan in the story, that deep gut, I have to move because of this? Move to action for those in my church. Move to action for those in my community. Move to action for those around the world. All right, that's us as a church. Maybe this morning, this, this idea of hypocrisy, you hear all that, that, and I don't do that to sell our church. I do that to encourage us to do more. But maybe you sit here and you go, you know what, I, I hear that, but man, I'm still done with church. I've seen hypocrisy. I, I'm okay with Jesus. I, I still love Jesus and want to follow him, but I can't do that church thing. I mean, that was me in high school, college, into my 20s and 30s. I mean, I would say that I love Jesus, but I had no time for the church. And what was I actually saying? Here's what I was saying. I'm leaving the church to be with myself because I'm so righteous and awesome. I don't want to be around all those people, so I'm going to do my own thing of holiness and righteousness. And Listen, Jesus didn't die to create these little individual self-righteous communities. He died to create grace communities where the gospel's being lived out. 
where we lavish God's grace on others, where, 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 where listen, when we, when we bail on the church, we're bailing on Jesus' most prized possession. Scripture calls the church Jesus' bride. I mean, imagine you come up to me after the service and you say, man, Pastor Kai, I love your sermons. I mean, you just, just the way you preach, I just love it. I, I just love your character. I love everything about you. I, man, I love you. But your wife, Libby, she's a skank, man. She is... She's ugly, she's horrible, she is, I mean, she's rude, she's the worst. You and I are not friends in that moment, right? I'm gonna find it hard to live out the gospel right there, okay? Turn the other cheeks, probably not happening in that moment, right? And yet how many times do we think it's okay where we say, well, I, I, I love Jesus, but I hate his wife. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in Nazi Germany. He, he stood up against the Nazi regime. He was actually killed in a concentration camp for his stance against the Nazi regime. And, and he said this true Christian maturity begins here. It begins when we recognize the hypocrisy in the church. That, that's Christian maturity. When you start growing, go, wait a minute, not everything's right in the church. And you, and you get upset when you see people not living out the gospel. That's good. That's mature to, to be upset about us not living it out. But that's the first step in Christian maturity. Real maturity is when that deep, deep dissatisfaction you have with the church, you now start to have with your own heart. You, you don't just get upset when you see the gospel not lived out in other people. Now you're moving to a deeper Christianity, a deeper walk with Christ when you start to look at your own heart and where you fail to live out the gospel and you have a deep dissatisfaction with that. You start to be concerned more about your own heart and when that happens, you now enter the church as Jesus intended you to enter the church, Bonhoeffer says. You now come in as an agent of grace, not as a self-righteous Pharisee where you've got it all figured out, not, not, not wearing your junior Holy Spirit badge where you're gonna point at everybody's sin, but you come in just as broken because you're more aware of, of your own hypocrisy. You're more aware of God's grace that you've received. And now you wanna walk alongside others to make the church look more like Jesus. It kills my pride, it kills my selfishness. It, 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 under, it makes everybody understand that there's more room for hypocrites here. I mean, if you're on the outside thinking, okay, that all sounds good, but man, I don't know if I can come into the church because of the stuff that I would bring in here. Listen, newsflash, we're all broken and busted up here. We're a dysfunctional group of people in this church. I heard one person say it this way, everyone's normal until you really get to know them. <laughs> right? I, mean, I love it when people show up at, at our church and maybe it's the first time they've been here and they'll grab me and, then, and this is for you. I just want to encourage you who you are. I say, man, this church is amazing. People are friendly and loving and caring. Man, there are some great people in the church and I just want to say, just stick around a little longer. Right? <laughs> This isn't a place for perfect people to huddle up together and wait for Jesus to come back. Listen, we want to invite you in on our journey as well as we seek out hope and healing in Jesus Christ alone. Not in any person, not in a system, not in a program, but in Christ alone. And that journey is going to be messy at times. Listen, we're, we're going to drop the ball as a church. We'll mess up relationships, because why? We all need grace and forgiveness as we press into the gospel together, seeking Jesus. So finally, as the worship team comes up, 
I want us to think of it this way. How do we answer this question about hypocrisy? It starts here. We begin to deal with the hypocrisy in our own hearts. That this morning, we say, listen, I'm not gonna excuse it any longer. I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna embrace the sin any longer. I'm gonna expose it and I wanna repent of it. And it starts with me. As I prepare this sermon, you want to know the week I've had just thinking through, what am I going to do as I get up and I got to preach about hypocrisy? All the things I need to bring to the cross to be confessed, forgiven, repented of, moving in a different direction where I say, I don't want that in my life anymore. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Help my brothers and sisters in our church. James 5.16 says this, if, if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. I love that. It says we do that. We, we're open about our hypocrisy. We bring it to each other to bring it to the cross so that we may be healed. The, the way we experience healing is when we expose our hypocrisy. When we find our hope in the gospel alone, First John says, when we walk in the darkness, when we walk hiding, we don't really know Jesus. But when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And we experience grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Because here's the thing, secrets grow in the darkness. That sin you hold on to, I'm telling you, it's not going to get smaller. It's only going to grow bigger. But when you expose them, the light kills them. Healing begins. So, so let's not play games any longer. Let's not pretend any longer as a church. Let's not excuse our sin. Let's not embrace our sin anymore. But to recognize that it is okay to not be okay here, but I don't want to stay that way. I'd be so bold to say this. There is sin here this morning that needs to be brought to the cross. Where Jesus brings hope and healing even to those dark places, even to your hypocrisy and my hypocrisy. So this morning, I mean, are you authentic? When no one else is around, are you the same person? How's your heart this morning? I'm gonna get you to stand with me now as we, uh, as we sing. And as you stand, you know, we don't do this very often, but, but I wanna call you to something this morning. Where there's hypocrisy in your heart, where there's that sin in your heart, and you know it's there, and it's in the darkness, and this morning where, where you'd wanna say, no more, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to come forward. Not that there's any magic about being up here in the front. Here's what we're going to do. When we start to sing, I'm going to invite elders and deacons and leaders to come up here. If you need to talk with someone and say, listen, I just want to get this sin out. I want to get it before the cross. And you know, talk to, they're going to be here to talk to, to pray with. Maybe, you do, maybe for you, it's just about the, the act of publicly saying, listen, I just want to get on my knees. I don't need someone to pray with, but, but I'm done with hiding. You know, even as I say, elders, deacons, and leaders come forward. Maybe you're here as a leader. And you're like, I'm not coming forward to pray with someone. I'm coming forward to get on my knees myself because there's things I need to get right before the Lord. And I'm done hiding them. I'm done walking in this any longer. I don't want to embrace the sin anymore. I don't want to excuse the sin anymore. 
but I wanna represent Jesus in my school. I wanna represent Jesus in my workplace. I wanna represent Jesus in my family and I haven't been doing it. And so where you're battling with pornography, it's this morning that there's hope. You say, I don't want this anymore. Where you continue to gossip, and we have it here. We have gossip in our church. Expose it and find healing. Where, where you're not loving your spouse and your, your marriage is hurting, make a move this morning. I'm not saying everything changes and it's all perfect, but you make that first step. Where, where you're filled with fear and anxiety, where, where, where you have so much anger, where, where you say you love Jesus. And you come to church every Sunday, but your week is so far from him, never in the word, never in prayer, never living out the gospel. And you would say this morning, I'm a hypocrite, but I want to move away from that this morning. Where you can't forgive, where you hold bitterness and unforgiveness, and, and you need to repair that today. Maybe today it's not so much about coming forward to get on your knees. Maybe today it's grabbing that person this morning and saying, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I'm sorry. And begin to put the hypocrisy away. Where secret addictions have a grip on you where you find your heart growing cold toward things of the Lord, where you cling to your stuff so tightly, never have given sacrificially, where, where you find your identity in so many other things than Christ, where, where you're holding on to a sin, where you're holding on to pride, where you're holding on to selfishness, where God's been calling you in obedience, you've been pushing him away, where you say, I know God loves me, but you don't feel it, you don't experience it. You struggle to embrace God's love for you where you haven't been on mission for the lost and the hurting, where you would say, man, I would be the one to go around. I would be the one just to drop a little bit on that person but not walk with them. Where this morning have you been faking it for so long? I mean, it's possible for us to live authentic lives. It is possible by Christ's strength to have hearts that are clean and full of integrity. Why? Because we have a Savior that took on our sin and the wrath of God so that we could be changed, made new, not the same any longer, completely transformed. And so this morning, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna start to sing. Don't waste any time. If you need to make a move as, a, as an act of I'm starting today, then make the move right away. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. We look forward to that day when, when all sin will be fully dealt with, but until then, may we embrace the gospel, the, the hope that we have in you. Christ, I pray this morning that we could expose the sin and the hypocrisy. Run to you. Find the truth of who we are in you and then live out that truth because we put our hope in the only one who was not a hypocrite in you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name I pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.